Martin Luther wrote, Much of religion lies in the pronouns. Well, it seems a little odd, doesn't it? I, I have to say that I kind of wrestled with the statement for a while, and as I kind of worked it through, I, I agree with that. Much of religion lies in the pronouns. I think this means that, you know, we can say Jesus is Lord. But can you say, can you add the pronoun, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus died for sins. Are we willing to add the pronoun, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus is the Savior. We need to add that pronoun. Jesus is my Savior. Lies in the pronouns. Well, today we consider how Abraham lived that out. How Abraham lived out not just faith, but faith in the one true God who was his God. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're working our way this summer through Hebrews 11, 12, and 13. Today we will be in verses 8 through 22. And here's how my sermon is going to go today. We are going to quickly work our way through the events and the outline of Abraham's life in this passage of Scripture. Then we're going to come back and we're going to examine the uh, summary statement of verses 13 to 16. And then I have two applications today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I I ask that your spirit would uh, speak to us today. Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture. Lord, it's a treasure to us. I pray that you would help us understand. And Father, we can only understand if, if you open our eyes to truth and reveal it to us. And Lord, we know that your spirit is a spirit that illuminates your truth. And I invite that, Lord, today. Lord, help us understand. And then, Father, by your spirit, help us to apply this to our lives today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's first quickly go through the um, outline of Abraham's life. Listen as I read verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was, not to, re- that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. First of all, in verses 8 through 10, we see Abraham's faith while on the move. Faith on the move. This is going back to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. This is referring back to the, the call of Abraham when God came to him and called him out of his land, out of Ur of the Chaldees, to go to a new place. God made it clear to him to leave his country, to leave his home, to leave his people, his 
father's household to leave everything that speaks of security and safety. And he went. Faith on the move. Like I said, we're going to go briefly through these verses and then come back and camp in verses 13 to 16. But I, I, I have to say before I move on, Has God been speaking to you of a move? You know, when God says, go forward, when God says, take a step, it is the only thing to do. We might say, well, no, no, God. You you, you say... um, to move forward, I like it right where I am. I'm going to stay right here. Man, I'm just going to stay right here and everything's going to remain the same. I just want to stay right where I am and have everything stay the same. You know, when God tells us to step forward, to make a move, and we say no to that, it doesn't stay the same. It's a step backward. Is God calling you to take a step. Maybe that, that has to do with, I mean, it could mean all kinds of things. Maybe that has to do with expanding your family, or maybe it has to do with adopting an, a little one into your family, or maybe it has to do with uh, how you educate your children, or maybe it has to do with a literal move. Maybe it's a changing or relocating. Maybe God has been speaking to you about going to another culture. And to live as his follower in another culture. The safest and best place to be is where God wants you. Abraham saw that. This was a major move. Abraham saw that and he went. Abraham's faith on the move Listen as I read verses 11 through 12. By faith, Sarah, having received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. If you're taking notes, here's faith in the waiting room. This is going back to Genesis 17, verses 15 through 27. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, that he would be the father of many descendants. And God had made that promise to Abraham And it wasn't over 25 years later that this son was born. The delays were long. There were lots of questions in the the meantime. And how is God going to do this? But Abraham displayed faith in the waiting room. just, Just listen as I read from Romans 4. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes this. In hope he, and this is Abraham, he's speaking about Abraham. In hope he believed against hope 
that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Here's Abraham in the waiting room. Oh, and delays are hard, aren't they? God God always has reasons for delays. And in the followers of Christ... And the people who believe in God and his sovereignty and his control and his will, there ought not to be impatience. But oh, oh that I would hurry up and learn that, right? I'm getting impatient about my impatience. Oh that I would learn that. Oh that all of us would learn that, that we can trust God. And his delays, though we may not understand, we can believe. Then we're going to come back to verses 13 through 16. Now now would you go to verse 17? The story of Abraham continues. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... Who he had received, who, who he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, um, whom, whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Here we see Abraham's faith. During the times of testing. And this is going back to Genesis 22. And God had made this great promise to Abraham. And then after 25, 30 years, Isaac is born. It was going to be through Isaac that the promise was going to be kept. He promised me all these descendants. And here now is this son. The promise is unfolding. And then it seemed that God was asking him to give up his son. And Abraham believed. Abraham had faith. In his heart, in his mind, it must have been torture. But he believed that God had a plan in this, that somehow God would do this. He promised, and he would bring him back from the dead. He would resurrect his son. Somehow he was willing to sacrifice his only son. And then God stopped him. And God provided a sacrifice. There was a ram there caught in the thicket. And faith during the times of testing. Here we see Abraham's faith. Personalized. It was his faith in his God. 
And then we look at verses 20 to 22. Here we see uh, Abraham's descendants, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of them still believed this promise. And they were looking to the future. They were looking to the fulfillment of the promise. They were expressing their faith this way. You see in, in these verses, in verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Isaac was looking to the future. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Joseph, by which the line would go. He believed, he he blessed the sons of Joseph. But what was to come? And then verse 20 or 22, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph was in Egypt, and he knew that they would be going back to the promised land, back to the fulfillment of the promises, and that's where you're to bury my bones. So Abraham and Sarah and Abraham's descendants, displayed this faith. Now could we go to verses 13 to 16? Here the author of the book of Hebrews gives us a a, a summary statement. And in the summary statement, I'd like us to see three traits of people of faith. Look at verse 13. These... All died in faith. I need to respond to that phrase. Uh, It's kind of setting the context of these verses. These, who is that referring to? That is referring to all the people that the author of the book of Hebrews has mentioned now here in in chapter 11. That that includes Abraham and Sarah, who these verses are right in the middle of their section. But it is also referring back to Abel that we looked at last week and Enoch. Again, last week, and then also Noah. And he says, these all died in faith. That's a kind of a remarkable statement. They died in faith. They hadn't received all the promises yet, like we're going to see, but they died believing. There's a tombstone in Scotland that says this on it. I died hoping, and my dust and my ashes believe in life. That's the same sentiment. That's the same sentiment of of these, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, who died in faith. We, followers of Christ... Are we going to die in faith, still believing, still hoping? And my dust and my ashes are still going to believe in life because there's going to come a day when the resurrection of the body is going to take place and my soul and this new body are going to be reunited to live with Jesus forever in the new kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth. I died hoping maybe we will be the generation that will see Jesus come 
that we'll be here and we'll be caught up into the air and we'll all be there and we'll be all to be seen. Maybe we'll be that generation. Maybe it will take place today. But if it doesn't, I'm going to die hoping and believing as those in an older age used to say, let me die one of Christ's on-waiters. I'm waiting on him. And if he doesn't come when I'm still alive, I'm going to die an on-waiter of Christ. Because I believe his promises. Hebrews 11, verse 13 Thinking back to that context, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Folks, what a a great passage of Scripture. Uh, There's so much here. I'd like to draw out three things. The first one it is, is this. Uh, They understood that they would never be fully at home in this world. These who died hoping and waiting and having seen the promise from afar, these, they understood that they would never be fully at home in this world. These verses describe them as strangers and exiles on the earth. And it's important for us to see, it doesn't say just strangers and exiles while they were wandering from Ur to the promised land and in the wilderness. This isn't just referring to later for the Israelites that when they were in Egypt they were strangers and exiles. No, it says they were strangers and exiles on the earth. On this earth. They were waiting for their true home. Their true home, this home that was not built by human hands, but by God, this place in heaven. They were waiting for their true home. You know, this is a bold statement. This is a statement we need to hear today. People of faith, people of faith in God, People of faith in the God of the Bible, of Jesus, are strangers and exiles on this earth. Does that include you? Does that include me? Are we of those who would claim Christ as our Lord and Savior? Then, yes, it does. We are strangers. And exiles here. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter would say that. He said, Beloved, I urge you. 
as he's talking to the church there. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Sojourners. We're here for a while, but we're not home. We're exiles. The Apostle Paul would say it this way over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Where he's talking, let me read verse 19, their end, and he's talking about those who are the enemies of Christ. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And then verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we see ourselves? As strangers here. What's a stranger? A stranger is somebody who doesn't fit in. A, a stranger is often someone who, who, who is not at home. And often doesn't fit in. Uh, it, what are exiles? Exiles are resident aliens. They're living here, but their citizenship is someone else. And for believers in Jesus Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, for those of us who are a little older, remember that, that tune we used to sing, uh, This world is not my home, right? I'm just a passing through. This world is not our home. I came across a, a simple phrase, a, a kind of a lyric, and it just hasn't been able to leave my thinking. And it goes like this. Why are you seeking your bliss in a world such as this? It's so simple, right? It's so little, it's kind of almost incomplete. But it just keeps. Why am I seeking my bliss in a world such as this? This world. When I am to be a stranger here, an exile here, someone who is seeking a homeland elsewhere. Oh, that God would give us eyes of faith to see this and to live this out. Samuel Rutherford, a pastor of the, in the 1600s of Scotland, wrote this Keep your tastes your love and your hope in heaven. It is not good that your love and your Lord should be in two different countries. The love for your mother country. What is it for you? Your mother country. Uh, I get, I'm up here, so I get to say, what my, you know, my mother country is Scotland, right? And I, I was born in Minnesota, so, you know, my, my mother country, Scotland and Minnesota. And you could say, well, that's kind of goofy, isn't it, Pastor Dave? Well, at least it's not Ireland and Nebraska, right? And uh, <laughs> it's really fun when Chuck's not here, and I can kind of tease him, even when he's not here. But our mother country, you know, what is our mother country? Christians, our mother country is where our Lord is. Our mother country is in heaven. That's where our home is. That's where we are headed. That's where we're going to feel like 
there's, we're home. That's when it's going to feel right. And it's not here. You know, I look out and uh, I look out and most of us, maybe there's a couple little ones and I can't see me they're being held. Or, but I look out and really all of us have celebrated our third birthday, right? Maybe there's a baby or a one or two year old that isn't in the nursery or it's here. All of us have celebrated our third birthday. And I look out and all of us in this room have not celebrated our third birthday. They used to say this, again, of old. They used to celebrate their first birthday, yeah, the birth, the birth when they would, were born in this world, and our physical birthday. And then they would celebrate their second birthday was the time when they were born into Jesus and born again. And they would talk about their third birthday. The day when they're born into eternal life when they find we're born into that new life in glory with new resurrected bodies where we will be with Jesus forever, that third birthday. The one when there will never be another one. The one that will last forever when we will be truly home. Can we say, like those of old, Like the people of faith, this world is not my home. I suppose it's somewhat like living as a young heir in the time of uh, their minority. It's kind of some old language again, but it's when there there was an heir born to a, a wealthy family and and during the time of their minority was the time when there'll be a day when they will get it all, but they don't get it yet because they're children, they're young, they, they need to grow. And so this heir in the time of their minority is waiting and has to be content with being trained and to learn and to become worthy of this inheritance that is coming, to be hardly handled sometimes and, and being content to wait Content for to live with little, knowing that the inheritance is coming and all will be possessed. And that is who we are. We're waiting. We're waiting. The Bible tells us that we are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. We have a taste of it now, but it, but it will be all ours in heaven when we get home. The book of Hebrews in verse, chapter 10, verse 34 says this, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They were living that out. To be a follower of Jesus could be thrown in prison, could have been taken all of their earthly possessions away, and they could could handle that because they knew this wasn't their home. They were going to have an eternal possession. Paul would say it this way in his life, as, as having nothing yet possessing everything. 
Well, I, I think there's a major application here. But let me say my other two points and we'll get to the applications. The second one from these verses is this. They openly confessed their faith in God. We see it in verse 13. Where it says, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They acknowledged it. They, in other translations, they admitted it. And then verse, um, verse 14 For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. These giants of faith who were just like you and me, they acknowledged, they spoke it out. I think this means that Noah told everyone why he was building that ark. Noah told everyone who would come to him and ask him why. Well, because God told me. God warned me of this wrath that was going to come. And I'm sure he was ridiculed for it. I'm sure he was shamed and laughed at over it. I'm sure that people thought he had lost his mind. But he spoke it. I think this means that Abraham told everyone why he was leaving his home. Unafraid, unashamed to tell of their faith. And the third. This third trait that comes out of these verses. Is they never stopped looking forward to heaven. They never stopped looking forward to heaven. Look at verse 15. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have been able to go back to that, the opportunity to return. So they weren't talking about going back, going back to a place that they'd known before. No, verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And their discernment here, right? A better country. And I believe this speaks to us that only God, only eternity in glory with God is able, is suitable to satisfy our souls. And they saw that. Do we see that? They saw this world that where this world is where we're exiles and strangers. Only God and, and being in glory with God forever. That's the only place where my soul will be satisfied. David came to this conclusion. And we, we see his wrestling in Psalm 73. It's an interesting chapter or book or chapter in the book of Psalms. And David is wrestling. He says, he says in verse 1, my feet almost stumbled. My, my steps almost slipped when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And it just didn't make sense to him. And maybe we wrestle with that when we see the people around us who would have nothing to do with Jesus and with God, and they prosper. The ones who could care less about God, it seems they have everything. David described them this way, their prosperity as they're always at ease. They increase in riches 
And then he uses this incredible phrase, their eyes swell out through fatness. He looks around and he, and he says he almost tripped over this. It caused him to slip. Then in verse 16 and 17, he said he, he became weary, wearisome. Wearisome in the task of trying to understand this. And then right away, he says, until he went to the house of the Lord. And then David says this towards the end of that that chapter. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's amazing. David recognized it, that God is his portion, the thing that's going to satisfy him. Those who look forward to heaven do so because they know that is where their God is. And the question, who do you desire to be? A person, a person whose portion thing that they clutch their souls to and that satisfies them completely. A person whose portion is the Lord, or as it says in Psalm 17, verse 14, a person, a person whose portion is in this life. Verses 13 through 16. Now would you allow me to present two applications. I think these verses have many places of application, and I pray that God's Spirit would apply them to you. But the first one that I'd like to talk about is, number one, these verses challenge our cowardice. The people in Hebrews 11, they made bold declarations by their words, by their choices, of the fact that they were living pilgrim lives. They made bold declarations by the things they would say and the things that they would do of their faith. and Faith in God. Could we hear that challenge? I believe we need to hear this challenge to our cowardice today. The majority of the people around us are living as though this world is everything. We see it. We know it. You know this. They say things like, well, grab all the gusto, right? The one with the most toys wins. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die, and then after that there's nothing, they would say. They have no eternal dimension to their living, no eternal dimension to their thinking, no eternal dimension to their lives. 
end. Why are we so afraid of what we know to be true? That this world is not it. Oh, follower of Jesus, be a reminder in winsome ways. Be a reminder by your words and by your choices and by your lifestyle that this life is short, that this life is not all there is. There's an eternity coming, and the only way to glory is through Jesus. Oh, may God give us the courage to step away from our cowardice and just speak the truth. It's true, and we love people. Someone has said that 24 hours, after 24 hours in glory, oh, we'll see that it's worth a whole lifetime of pain and trouble and sacrifice. 24 hours in heaven and all oh, is nothing that I could be in glory. And could I add, that 24 hours in hell, in that place of torment, after 24 hours in hell, it will show the complete regret of a self-indulged, godless life. 24 hours in glory. Oh, any sacrifice, Lord, any trouble that I faced during my short time on earth, 20, just 24, let alone eternity. Versus 24 hours in hell. Why did I live a self-indulgent life? Why did I reject God? That's just 24 hours, let alone an eternity. These verses challenge our cowardice. We need to be people who speak. And the second application is this. These verses rebuke our materialism. I believe an attitude of being a stranger in exile here speaks very clearly against our present lifestyle as Christians. And I'm not speaking at... I throw myself in this. I speak to myself. I'm one standing before you who just bought, as uh, like one of the teeth, a newer and better car. Got rid of my old envoy and bought a newer and better car. So I'm right with you. I'm trying to figure this out. What does all this mean? Those who know that the next life is the real one will not waste their limited resources and limited opportunities in this life by clutching on to things that will not last. Jesus said it this way, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. The Apostle Paul, wrestling with the struggles that he went through, he said, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. 
Oh, that God's Spirit would help us. You know, true, true Christians since the early church have been known for their sacrificial lifestyles. Because it was the true followers of Jesus that understood the difference between this world and the next world. This world. And if we live for this world, it can show itself in self-contented affluence. The next world, eternity-centered compassion. Sacrificial and outgoing compassion. Brendan Manning has said this, the greatest cause for atheism, the greatest cause for atheism is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyles. I think we need to hear these words today. Or for us today, Has this world become our heaven? We've got it so comfortable here. And I understand the, the tension here in this. That as Christians today, we're we're trying to see how God can be present in our lives today and how he brings his blessings to us today. I understand that. But I also believe we need to know that like they said in Hebrews 11, we are going to a better country. Speak to the martyrs of old. Speak to those who lost everything dear and comfortable to follow God's call. You know, there'll be a day when we die. Those who love the world most leave it worst. If your heart is loosely tied to this world, then it will be a small matter for you to leave it. I believe this passage of Scripture of being exiles and strangers speaks to our materialism. And may God's Spirit direct us. Why are we seeking our bliss in a world such as this? Yes, these verses challenge our cowardice. These verses rebuke our materialism. And we want to be people of faith. We want to live out. And what will be the result of that? Look at how verse 16, or look at verse 16, where it says, But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, and you remember how I started my sermon today with religion being in the pronouns? Listen to it here. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I invite you to this through Jesus Christ. God will not be ashamed to be called your God. And then it ends, for he, is, he has prepared for them a city. God is preparing for you a city, a home. 
in glory. Oh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us as we apply this passage of Scripture. Lord, show us. Thank you for those who have gone before us, who lived out their faith. Thank you for Hebrews 11 that describes it to us. I pray, Father, that you would do your work in us today. Lord, apply this by your Spirit. And Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, because Jesus Christ has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, by faith we are saved. And we are welcomed into your family. And we become heirs of our true home. Father, thank you that you are our God. That because of what Jesus has done, you look at us and you are not ashamed to be called our God. Oh, thank you, Lord. And now help us to live this out today. Show us, Father. Lord, thank you. In Christ's name, amen.